Hey, I'm Khalid Ege, and welcome to Intergenerational Wisdom, a theme-based storytelling podcast aimed to bridge the gap between young and older, using stories as a lens to highlight the commonalities and differences in experiences, passions, times, and perspectives of those who are under and over 30. This show uses an intergenerational scope where stories will overlap from organizers, citizens, community members, siblings, and family members. On today's episode, you will get to hear Shelby Daigle's story. Shelby Daigle is a community mobilizer and activist who has played an instrumental role in Ottawa in terms of race relations. In this episode, she talks about her mental illness and crowdfunding. Shelby discusses the importance of depending on one another and the value of knowing when to ask for help. Shelby also talks about how she built a community from her being public about her mental illness. Shelby's story is inspiring because it shows how she is still fighting to ensure that the voices of her community are not only heard, but elevated. Her story emphasized the importance of relying on one another in times of need. Her story also emphasized the importance and the value of being of service and helping and reaching out. Shelby's story also highlights the importance of never giving up. Shelby's story encapsulated her journey from being a community member, an active, very, very active community member, to attempting suicide. And today, she lives to share her story. I knew I had to quit my job working with the police. And like, I was so miserable. I had like actually attempted suicide. Like I just couldn't face a life where I had to keep working this job. But I didn't really know what to do because like financially, I knew I wasn't well enough mentally to try to find another job. And also like it was a, it was the most well-paying job I've ever had. And I don't have a university degree, which is like, you know, when you live in the city, you realize like it's very hard to get any employment and not have a university degree. And I don't have a lot of skills. So like just not really a lot of options or opportunities. And I also, and I also knew that like, honestly, my brain was just fried. Like, I don't really know how else to explain it, but like, you know, I had a mental illness. It was also just like, my brain really couldn't work anymore. So I kind of knew that I needed a break to kind of just figure things out. And so basically like, I just was kind of thinking like, what can I do? And I was just like, there's a lot of emotions too, because I was sort of just like, you know, I'm in, at that time I was in my, you know, late thirties. You know, when you get to that age, you're not young anymore. I had faced a similar crisis when I was like 23 and I, 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 where I, I like had to leave a job and I was actually living on my own. So I didn't know how I was going to like afford my rent and that sort of thing. And like, I had a complete breakdown. I ended up like hospitalized in the civic hospital, but like I was 23. So like, it's just like, oh, you have your whole life ahead of you. You know, you could always start off. You could always go back to school, that sort of thing. But like when you're like 37, it's not the same, right? (laughs) Like you don't have that same sense of like possibility or potential. It's really kind of just like, okay, well, if you're really this broken right now and you can't keep a job and you can't do these things, like you're kind of, your life is almost over, right? So I kind of, I realized that whatever I felt about things, I didn't really have a choice but to leave the job. And I decided just to ask for help from the online community I'd built up over the years. I had experience with crowdfunding. So that's when you sort of just basically, you know, using some sort of online platform, you kind of just ask the universe for help pretty much in the form of money to get something. And I had done that back in 2012, when I realized I wanted to go see my father in Nigeria for the first time. So I successfully was able to raise $4,000 to be able to like 
pay for the ticket and that sort of thing to go. Just from like, you know, my network, but then also like they'd share it with their network. And it was this interesting story. So like different people gave money. So I knew that like, it'd be kind of weird to just randomly ask people for money, like to support myself. <laughs> but like, I also knew it was like, I didn't really know what my other options were because Going on social assistance, I knew at that time was something I mentally was not well enough to do. I was raised on social assistance and it can be a very difficult experience to apply and then not know if you're gonna get accepted and not know what's gonna happen. So that kind of uncertainty, I just knew I couldn't really deal with right at that moment. I also didn't know if I wanted to go on social assistance. Like maybe if I had just had like a break of six months, I wouldn't have to go on social assistance. So I just wasn't really sure. So what I decided to do was to create crowdfunding campaign through LaunchGood, which is a Muslim crowdfunding platform. And I actually had met one of the co the co-founders of it at the time. And I knew that the most way to make sort of what I was sharing useful was not just to be like, hey, I need money because I need to leave my job but actually to make it something that whether you contributed money or not, like by reading the story, you would actually gain something. So I decided to make it like informative and that was both so people could gain something even if they weren't contributing, but also like it would make it more likely for people to share it. So like I was also thinking about in terms of like, if it could get shared more, I could raise more money. So I decided to make it about like everything that had happened and what I learned about suicide and mental illness and loneliness after like, because like I was kind of, you know, in the state I was at both because of my own mental illness and challenges, but also because my mother had, had died by suicide in 2013. So like that was a real possibility for me. So what I shared on it was not just about my own story of, of, of you know, feeling suicidal and why I felt I need to take this break just to like kind of make sense of my life after everything that happened, but also like, what actually makes people want to die by suicide? Because it's something we talk about a lot of times, we actually don't really know much about it. So what I shared um, on my crowdfunding campaign was sort of like what I had actually learned from studying about suicide, about what actually drives people to suicide, because it's not really what we think. I mean, depression's often a major factor in like the majority of suicides that happen. But the reasons, like the reasoning for why people feel that way is actually both like a loneliness and social isolation and also feeling like a burden. And so even in the process of asking for money, I realized that one of the things that was important about what I was doing was like, I was kind of playing with that sense of being a burden. Cause like I felt like a burden already. I felt like a burden at my work. I felt like a burden with my friends. I felt like a burden, like in terms of like, just being this loser who can't do her job and also worried about like becoming on social assistance because I'd always been raised with a sense of like, oh, if you're on social assistance, like you're a burden to the whole society, right? But by like kind of doing this crowdfunding, it's like, well, wait, you're gonna feel like a bigger burden. But like, I realized that actually by just being really public about it, I actually was kind of like taking that sense of burden away from myself by just being like, I'm not going to, I'm gonna fight that feeling. It's like, I need help. A lot of people need help, right? At the end of the day, we're all, kind of can see ourselves as a burden or like you, we all contribute things in different ways. But I was kind of just like really, it's almost like if you're really afraid of something, you're really afraid of being a burden. It's like, you know, it's almost like sort of an immersion therapy, like immersion therapy kind of thing. It's like, you know, I am always feeling like a burden and it's something that makes me feel like suicidal, but like, I'm just going to ask the whole universe for money to support me. And it's like just the most extreme way of being a burden, but like almost by going that extreme, you're kind of like, actually appeasing that fear because you're going to see what's coming up at the other side of it. It's like, is everyone going to reject you? Is everyone going to judge you? Or are people going to be like, you know what? Actually, yeah, I totally get it. Like whether we help you or not, like 
I still respect you as a person, right? And so it was interesting because the response in terms of like initially was really quite interesting because I, I, I realized that like a lot of people in my social network, because I shared it through multiple platforms. I shared it through my, my Facebook um, pages. I shared it through my LinkedIn. So it's, you know, and again, it's really funny too because I always say it's like, you know, because you know, I remember like over the years, you know, mentors had told me like, don't tell everyone about your mental illness. Don't tell anything. It's like, it's going to make you unemployable. And I was just like, you know what? <laughs> like, if I had learned anything, it's like, I don't want to work with anyone who doesn't understand I have a serious mental illness because it affects my work so much that like, I'd rather it be that if you Google my name, you see that I crowdfunded for like having a suicide attempt than like pretend I'm normal. So I kind of was really lucid and everything I was doing is kind of intentional. It's like, I knew everything I was doing by putting this out there. I couldn't take it back. It was going to be on Google. It was going to be something people knew about me. And there would be people who would judge me for it. But there would also be people who could help me. And so in the end, like, I would never recommend that anyone else do it. Because <laughs> it's huge risks, right? Like, it's huge risk. As soon as you get to a point where, like, you just are right, coming off of, like, a suicide attempt, you kind of, like it kind of makes you feel like a bit like a, you have a superpower. Cause like as soon as you come back from that, you're just like, wait a minute, like what else can you really lose? Like you already feel at rock bottom. You already want to get this point. So it's like, what else can you lose? So like when you're ready to take that kind of risk, then, then I would say, you know, like you have to be careful though. And again, depending on your mental illness, like, like my mental illness doesn't involve any kind of impulsivity issues, right? I overthink everything. That's the nature of my mental illness. Like, because I have like chronic depression and like uh, panic and anxiety disorder. And I also have like complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So all of those things just all involve overthinking stuff. So definitely in terms of doing this, like I was overthinking everything. But in the end, I just came to the conclusion like, you know what? Do it. This, this is a good idea. Um, see what happens. And yeah, so in the end, I was able to raise about $15,000 to support me for like a year as I just kind of would figure out how to like just rest really. Um, and, but probably the most interesting that came from was this, I realized how many people in my social network also were struggling with mental illness, had members of their family who would die by suicide and how misunderstood it was. Like, I mean, probably some of the most interesting messages I got were like people saying, you know, the way you described suicide, like it helped me better understand why, you know, my brother or like, you know, my father died by suicide because like, I'd never known why they did it. And like, we never really been told properly. We were told they may be depressed, but we're like, well, why they, they had us, but you know, being a burden, that sort of thing. It's like, oh, this, this actually made more sense. And then you just realize also like, whoa, like despite this being such a serious issue and despite the fact that we live in a time where everyone's talking about like mental health awareness, we're actually really not talking about critical issues. Like this isn't, so we're talking about mental health awareness. But we're not actually really properly understanding a lot of these disorders. We're not properly understanding things like suicide, which is actually a really common problem. So yeah, I even got like feedback from people who work in the mental health field or social workers being like, yeah, like I never really understood that part of it. And so it kind of fulfilled that idea of like, yeah, I wanted it to be an educational thing. In terms of things that I could have done better, like mistakes I made, I think it could have built like a blog or it could have built something that was more about continuing the education. I realized though, I just was too tired at the time anyways. Like I kind of had this, like all this like kind of 
energy almost coming off of having attempted suicide. And so it's because it's just such a weird time in your life. But then I just went back to being regularly depressed. So like, I just didn't have energy to really take what like all this feedback and interest and energy and make almost more of another type of community from it. And I kind of wish I had done that. Because I think the problem we have right now is that everyone's trying to pretend like they're normal. And I know for me, like I, when I was younger, I didn't really want to pretend like I was normal. Like I accepted that I wasn't normal and it was like, I don't care. But I think what happened to me over the years was that, you know, as soon as I sort of focused on like, okay, I'm going to support myself with regular jobs. I'm going to like, even though I can't finish university, I'm going to try to like, just act like I'm a normal person, act like I'm a normal person who's trying to be middle-class or trying to do those things. But the truth is like, I was never really a normal person. Like, and like, this whole process of crowdfunding and being really open about my mental illness and suicide and that sort of thing, like this, it really helped me connect to that part of myself that was like, you're not normal and you were never about being normal and you're always about being really publicly not normal and that's who you are. And that was really important for my healing because so much of the damage I did to myself was pretending to be somebody I wasn't and associating with people who I couldn't really be my real self with. So by like really putting my real self on blast, like, yeah, definitely I've made myself completely unemployable. But I also, it was a good test for knowing who was really, who really had my back and who didn't, you know, who was going to be there when I, when my life was really messy and who wasn't. And I think we all sometimes need to figure that out in our lives sooner than later, because I think that's often why we feel lonely. If you spend a lot of time with people who at the end of the day, you know, are not going to be there when you really need them. That's what loneliness is, right? But if you know those people who, yeah, they can't spend all their time with you and they can't do everything with you, but they'll always come if they're needed. Like that's, I mean, that has definitely filled me with a real sense of security. Just when you're young, like a lot of the times either like you can feel really hopeless. And I guess what I have to say is that it doesn't always get better. Like I think we have to also understand there's a lot of myths about mental health. And the reality is, is that you know what, like when it comes to suicide rates, yes, there's a lot that happens when you're young, but the truth is like some of the highest suicide rates in our country are actually like people in their forties and fifties. It's when that you get to that point at life where you don't feel you have much of a future. Right. Um, and that's why I think, you know, whether we're working with people who are in their teens and twenties or, you know, and we keep telling them they have a future, they have the future. Well, number one, like I know when I was feeling suicidal at that age, I didn't feel I had a future. <laughs> And it's the same thing when, you know, you're in your late 30s, you don't feel like you have a future. It's the same reality. I think we need to be careful about the ways in which we frame meaning in life or success in life. So I don't think we should, you know, like if you're 15 right now or 19 right now, you don't feel like you have a future. Like, and you, when you hear people say, oh, no, 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 you can like go to university or you can get a job that you like and you can get those things. Like you're right to kind of just not necessarily always believe it. And I think a better way of addressing it is simply being like, do you still have time to make your life have meaning? Because... Oftentimes we, we give meaning to like these really external things that often we actually don't have a lot of control over. You don't have control over who's going to get into a relationship with you, if you're going to have kids or not, what your health is going to be like, what your financial situation is going to be like, whether your parents are going to accept you or not. You don't have a lot of control over that. But we do have some control over whether we can make a life that's meaningful. And it doesn't have to look like other people's you know, version of meaning. It's like, what does it mean to have a meaningful life for yourself? And that's a question you can ask yourself at 15, and it's a question you can ask yourself at 45 and they both could become like whatever answer you give can become the thing that keeps you waking up every day and not giving up on your life. So my message would be it's I don't want to tell people it's going to get better because I don't know that.
But what I would say is that, you know, coming off of that time, I learned a lot from that journey of being like, no, I do have really good people in my life. I have people who care for me. I have people who want me to be around. But it is also about me redefining what success looks like, redefining what meaning is and what purpose is. And yeah, so I did take a, you know, a year and then I realized during that year that, yeah, I would never be able to go back to like working full time. And so I applied for disability and I was accepted. <laughs> so, um, cause my mental illness is that serious. And I think a lot of times, again, people too don't always think mental illness is that serious, but like it can affect so many aspects of your life that yeah, you are disabled. So that was also a big deal too. Cause like my mother was on disability. So it was just like, you know, it could have felt like an end, but luckily I just done all of that work up until that point of kind of figuring out like, you know, fighting, feeling like a burden, building really better, re healthy relationships, just really rejecting being normal that, you know, when I did get accepted to ODSP and realized that like I was going to spend the rest of my life on social assistance to a certain extent, like still working a bit, but mainly on social assistance, like I could accept it at that time and not feel like it was the end of my life. So I think that for a lot of those of us who get raised on social assistance, and I think that happens to a lot of us who like we know it and then we end up in our teens or like early 20s, we we're really afraid of either going back to that life or we're always like wondering if it just taints us in every way. And I, and again, oftentimes we just don't talk about it, right? So a lot of people I've met, I never knew they grew up in social assistance. They never, no one talks about it, right? They might talk about the neighborhood they grew up in, but they'll be like, no, 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 yeah, my parents work, whatever. I was like, mm. And then you eventually, like the more I've been open about it, more people have been like, actually, yeah, we were homeless at one point. We were in a shelter at one point. And again, you just realize how much people are covering up to pretend to be normal. And I get why people have to do it, but it's, like, I just think, again, when we're talking about mental health, we have to realize, like, a, men like, a big strain on people's mental health is all the secrets that we keep and the ways we have to be dishonest about who we really are. Through that whole process, I just realized, like, the purpose of my life right now is just to be radically really honest with myself and other people and help give other people a space to do that and to write things and explain things, which is really hard because, like, just because of my mental illness, I'm, it's, writing is hard, reading is hard, but it does seem that people really like my writing or find that the way I explain things to be accessible. So I want to keep doing that. And again, those are things that, I mean, yeah, definitely you need internet access and stuff like that, but you don't need a lot of money to be able to do that. And you don't need a lot of money to be able to share your story with people. And I think that's, that's kind of like, we live in a great time in that way. Like you don't have to have so much to be able to do that. And there's definitely a real need for that. So yeah. When you talk about what kind of legacy you want to leave, think about the impact you want to leave people with. Who do we want to be remembered as? What legacy do we want to leave behind? How many people do we want to touch? Shelby's story ultimately highlights how she's still fighting and how she will continue to fight. Thank you for listening. Do you have a story you want to share about a time where you did something cool? Feel free to reach out to Khaled Ege via email at KhaledEge97 at gmail.com. Khaled spelled K-H-A-L-I-D, Ege spelled E-G-E-H, 97 at gmail.com or on Instagram at Khaled underscore Ige. A very special thank you to CHGO 89.1 FM for supporting this initiative from the beginning to today. 
Support independent community radio today at www.patreon.com backslash chuo891fm.